Every week, we dissect current news affecting Malaysians with our panel of highly qualified and experienced guests. Today, we have Dr. Wong Saiwan. Good morning, Dr. Good morning, guys. In a press conference, Tan Sri Mohidin Yassin had this to say. It's good that Tun said it, that this cabinet will last until the next election comes. So thank you to Tun for his comment. But maybe behind that, there's some challenge that we understand we will have to face. Well, maybe if all the MPs accept the advice of Tun Dr. Made, there will not be any usul undi tak percaya. Essentially, he's saying that if all the MPs take Tun M's advice, there will be no vote of no confidence at parliament. What role does Tun M still have in swaying the MPs for a vote of no confidence, despite now not being Prime Minister or Basatu Chairman? I think even when he was Prime Minister, he was having problems getting the MPs to listen to him. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have resigned. Yep. I think he will be a beacon for those who want to overthrow Tan Sri Muhyiddin. Mm. That's all he's going to be. I've been trying to find out who has been drafting that no confidence motion. It must be legally and parliamentarily correct. I have not heard anyone drafting that. So maybe Tun has also heard that and he's quickly come up with this statement so that it won't look bad on him if it doesn't happen. I'm very confident that the motion of no confidence will not take place. Most of the MPs from Pakatan Harapan, they are still MPs for their constituency. What can we expect to see in Parliament when they do convene? The Pakatan Harapan MPs are probably the best set of opposition MPs this country has ever seen. Mm. Now, they have an added advantage that they were in government. Okay, So they know a lot more than they did previously. And I'm expecting them to give this new government hell. <laughs> if I can say that word. <laughs> <laughs> because they have now got the insights from left and right. Look at it, the likes of Nurul Iza, the likes of Lim Guan Ng. They were fantastic opposition MPs in their time. And now they come in to the parliament with added insight knowledge. As former ministers. As former ministers or people who have access to information. Yeah. Now, I think a lot of ministers will find it very difficult to try to waffle over any information. So they'll give the new government a hard time in keeping to their words. Yes. COVID-19. In Penang, a telecommunications giant plant has shut down and children have been told to stay at home. This is Penang, right? So Penang is the Silicon Valley of Malaysia. So how will COVID-19 actually affect Penang's economy in the event of a lockdown? I think the COVID-19 is going to affect everybody's economy, not only Penang. Yesterday, Dow Jones lost 10% of its value. Mm. That's easily worth a few hundred billion US dollars. The rest of the world can continue to manufacture, continue to work, but we'll have nowhere to sell it to mm. because most of the, our customers are on lockdown. If you look at Europe, I'm, I expect by the end of the day, it'll be a total lockdown. And China is on the recovery. The factories are starting to manufacture. Unless Penang is supplying to China, they do supply some components, I think there isn't a much economic loss to Penang. It will be an inconvenience rather than anything else. That is what COVID-19 is. If people take it up a look properly, it is an inconvenience. And I received a message which I think I want to share. It's called, it is a viral disease, not a virus disease. Right. Because it's going on, it's... It's on the social media. Yes, that's what it is. Mm. I mean, we are frightening ourselves, we are scaring ourselves, and yet we don't look after ourselves. I don't understand this. So if Malaysia is in a lockdown, let's say our KLSE is shut for trading, like it's closed for trading, how will this impact our economy? Can we actually take it? I think shutting down the KLSE 
is one of the Bursa Malaysia now we call it uh-huh. setting Bursa Malaysia would be one of the best things to protect the investments of the public really uh, why okay if there is a massive drop okay that we follow the US 10% drop it will take a long long time for the market to recover it will only be the carpet beggars, those rich individuals who says hey this is an opportunity they pick up cheap stock but it affects our EPF our pension funds our sovereign investments they will take a long time for them to come back to the level. So if you shut it down, the KLCC for three days, okay, and uh, US stabilizes, Europe stabilizes, and then we reopen the market, and the market will be, yes, there will be a drop, but it won't be a 10% drop. It'll probably be a 3% drop. So the recovery rate for the KLCC to go back up will be a lot lesser than 10%. Okay. Now, with the rise of COVID-19 cases, our new government has actually set up a fund and also a council, an economic council, to stabilize our economy. In your opinion, is this a good move? Yes and no. Let's deal with the fund. Yeah. The fund is nothing more than a rara move to try to unite the people behind anything the government is doing. Look, we collected two hundred million or whatever for the Tabung Harapan. Mm. Right. Okay. It was, I presume, well spent. But you know what? We don't know how it was spent. True. Okay. You have this fund for COVID nineteen. Who do you give it to? I would say give it to doctors, give it to nurses. But what about the guy who had to stay in hospital for thirty days, mm. forty days? He's unemployed. Do you not give him? And how much do you give him? Will he end up profiting more? And so I don't think that the fund was actually meant to assist directly, but it's a way of bringing the people together. Mm. Okay. Okay. The Economic Council, brilliant. To have an Economic Council just to face this, I think it should be expanded a little bit more. Uh, in what sense? That uh, he should also take in the ministers who are in charge of food, in charge of agriculture activities. Tourism. Tourism, forget about it. Really? Uh, <laughs> Why? Uh, for me, tourism, look, we can have free hotels, free flights. No one can come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so forget about tourism. What you want to do is make sure that these economic activities, which are essential, continue. You need to feed the people. You need to provide people with finances. Well, I have a suggestion for the government. Put off income tax for six months, ten months, whatever. Right. You I'm know, all for that. <laughs> it, it's, it's not anything. It's just that you put back liquidity into the country. Uh, and so that when, when it's time to pay up, you guys pay up. That's it. So you're trying to invigorate or trying to generate yes. trade and also keeping supplies in the in the flow. Yes, it is. Because the, the whole problem, like I said just now, uh, this is a disease of fear, not an actual disease where people fall down on the ground and die. Mm. It's the fear that is in us. Why are we rushing out to buy toilet rolls for? I don't understand <laughs> that. We're still trying to figure <laughs> that yeah, out. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, but the, the whole idea is the fear created. You need to rally them and the rallying must be well planned. I, th- I think that's what the Economic Council got to do. Make sure the money is there. Make sure the activities are there when the fear has gone. Well, Datuk Sri Azmin uh, has been given the role to chair meetings in the absence of Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin. So we're going to ask Datuk, is this sending a message that he's actually, you know, the unofficial second person in charge? The DPM. On the day when Tan Sri Muhyiddin announced the cabinet, I tweeted out and I put on Instagram, there's no such thing as no DPM. He's got four. Okay. I think the question is asked, who is DPM 1, DPM 2, DPM <laughs> right. 3 and DPM 4? Yeah. And so, I think uh, Tan Sri Muhyiddin answered the question. He said, if he's not around, Azmin will chair the, meeting. the cabinet meeting. Mm-hmm. If not, it'll be Ismail Sabri and then after that, it'll be Radhi Janin. The, the whole thing is, uh, so if you guys want a label of 1, 2, 3, 4, it's there. But Azmin is the de facto DPM. I will call it. He is 
well qualified to be a DP, and uh, I think he's a better politician than any of those fellows in his 35 member cabinet. Now, in your opinion, do you think uh, Azmin still holds the command that he did when he was Selangor CM? Azmin isn't that kind of politician. He doesn't command loyalty, he doesn't command respect, he, he, he doesn't seek to do that. Azmin is a politician. He manoeuvres. Right. I think he still has that skill and he's proven it. 11 people brought down this government with the help of Tun, but he brought down the government. It takes a lot of skill and manoeuvring for it to happen. For him to get mortal enemies like Amno and Bersatu together in one room and work together, I think we must give Azmin credit for that. And I think for that, he's being rewarded. That's why he is de facto DPM. Now, on Monday, our Prime Minister announced the new cabinet lineup, which looks a lot like he has thought long and hard about who is in what, which position because some of these ministers has experience in that role. Or previous now, experience or some have had some work experience in, in those particular roles. Yeah, so right? what are your thoughts on this new lineup, Dato? Okay, Tan Sri Muhyiddin, before announcing the cabinet, in address to the country, made a promise that he tied there. And therefore, after making that promise, he has narrowed his choices. He said, no one with cases, people with integrity, people who can work. So, if you look at the 222 members of parliament, you suddenly see, oh, he doesn't have much choice. <laughs> Okay, that was one problem. Two, his is a loose coalition. He had to keep his coalition afloat. If he say appointed everyone from Amno, yeah, mm. the guys in past will be upset. The guys from Bersatu would definitely be upset, and Azmin's gang would also be upset because they played a, a big role in all this. Yeah, so. He had to balance it. And at the same time, by balancing, he had to find people from the various party who suited the role. I'll give you an example. Takiyudin, who is now the law minister, is actually a practicing lawyer. Right. But he's from PAS. Okay. 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 We only envisage Takiyudin in his turban and his moustache and beard and robe. And we don't think of him as a lawyer. But he's actually a lawyer. And for, by all accounts, he's a pretty decent lawyer. And therefore, well qualified to be the law minister. At the same time, We'll take Datuk Sri Hishamuddin as an example. Many people see it as a demotion for him by being made the foreign minister. But Hishamuddin has got a lot of friends overseas. Mm. And they happen to be people in very high position. If you follow Tan Sri, I mean uh, Datuk Sri Hishamuddin's Instagram, the first picture that he uploaded okay, upon going into office was himself making a call to the Chinese foreign minister. Right. Who is his personal friend. You know, so... Yes, uh, we all expected Hisham to get bigger things, but suddenly he's been sent overseas, but he fitted the role. Okay, well, only time will tell to see how this cabinet um, works out. But Dr. Wang Sawan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me.